always happen. Home. In the kitchen. Have a good day? Mm, not bad. Good. Oh. But there's a problem with the car. The Suburban? There's a big problem with the Suburban. It's only two years old. Well, I bumped into Phyllis Simpson today. Oh, great. Well, what's the damage? What? Well, is there a dent, or did the bumper take most of the hit? What? What hit? You ran into Phyllis Simpson today with the car. I saw her at the mall, okay? There was no bumping or denting or anything. Well, then what's wrong with the car? Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. When I bumped into her at the mall, she was getting out of her new Escalade. Her 2006 silver metallic Escalade with leather seats and DVD player, XM radio, and OnStar. The Simpsons got an Escalade? Those things are like 60 grand. $64,912 list. She left the sticker on it. <laughs> In fact, she stood right next to the sticker. She even fixed her lipstick looking into the sticker. I, I'd like to stick her. How could John afford something like that? Oh, great. What? Well, that means he's going to be driving it to the clubhouse Saturday. Well, honey. Yeah? Can I please get a new Escalade? What? Well, you can't expect me to drive to the carpool line in that thing. That thing is only two years old. Two years what? Two years old. Exactly. Old. She'll be showing off all over town. I can't drive it. No, it's her fault, really. We can't afford it right now, okay? And besides, we haven't exactly been making all the payments on time here lately, all right? So it sure would be nice to be sitting there at the clubhouse in my new Escalade when John drove up. <laughs> and why shouldn't we get a new car? You're as important as he is, right? Well, I guess so. You deserve it as much as he does, right? Sure, yeah. I know I deserve it more than Phyllis does, don't I? Well, of course you do, sweetie. <laughs> but listen, we've already got a second mortgage, right? And now the kids are in private school and the country club and the lake house. And I just don't think we can swing it right now. It's not fair. The Simpsons have found a way to swing it, right? Okay, wait a minute, just let me think. Hey, hey, wait, 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 I think I've got this. <clears throat> what if I take a little money out of our 401k and then pay off the second mortgage? And then we can take out an equity line of credit and pay for the Escalade, and we get a tax write-off on the interest. What? So you're telling me that we will pay off our second mortgage and get a tax deduction? Yeah. I think it would be irresponsible not to. Hello, OnStar. Hello. <laughs> oh. Well, the Joneses are about to get themselves into trouble again. Last week, they were trying to decide what to do with the, the new bonus check, and this week, they're wanting to mortgage their way into a new vehicle. I think a lot of us can identify with that. Now, I found out over the last few months how special I am. Because I keep getting these offers in the mail that like car dealers have special sales just for me. I mean, 12 hours, exclusive pricing. You can't get it any other place. And it's just for me and a few select other customers. I don't know how they pick me, but they think I'm special. People at the furniture store think I'm special too. Because they send me stuff telling me that I can wait 
five years before I have to pay for furniture. They send this stuff just to me. It's an exclusive sale just for a select group of customers. No other way can you get this pricing any other time. But for me, I'm special. So I got the pricing. There's a lot of special people that are offered anything from cars to houses to waterfront property just for a short amount of time. If you hurry and make the decision, you too can be in a huge amount of debt. Just in the last few weeks... All these credit card companies, they keep telling me 0% interest, 2.9% interest. Get a lot of sky miles the more you spend. And, oh, here's all kinds of free stuff you can get if you get that credit card. And just on and on and on. Everybody gets all the offers to get ourselves further and further in debt. Our desire to acquire can really get us in trouble. Our desire to have more can easily be fed through this thing called installment credit. The easy access to credit that we have today that every person can get destroys lives and careers and marriages and relationships all because people are whipping this thing out and saying, I'll take one. Or they're filling out the credit app saying, I want one. Today I'm in the last part of a series called In the Zone. And every week I've been talking about how there's a place where God wants every one of us to live. God wants every person on the face of the earth to live in the zone. That's in the place where he is the blesser and he wants us to be blessed by him. And then he wants us to be a blessing to people around us. God by nature is generous. By nature, God gave. God gave His one and only Son. So God's nature is that of a giver. He's naturally generous. And God wants us to live in the zone where we can receive His generosity, but not just receive the things He gives us, but also reflect the things that He blesses us with. So how can I be a blessing to people around me? Well, I'll receive from God and I'll reflect to others. It's that simple. But a lot of people choose not to live in the zone. They choose to live out here in the land of Ing. Because a lot of people choose to live out here outside the zone where they think their stuff is their stuff. Where they think they own what they have. When in fact, if you read the Bible, God says, it's all mine. I'm going to give you some to manage. Some of us have got a bunch. Some of us have got a little. Some has got a medium-sized pile. But God says, it's all mine, and I want you to manage it. I'm going to bless you with it. You're going to be blessed because of what I give you. And then I want you to be a blessing by reflecting what I've done for you to the world. But people choose still to live in the land of ing, the land of shopping, the land of earning, the land of owning, and not move into the zone. When we first started talking about doing a series about money, I thought, gosh, five weeks talking about money, that's a lot. But as I've read and researched and read through the Bible everywhere it talks about money, that is exactly what we need to be talking about. I was a little nervous at first thinking, gosh, they're going to think we just want more money. But, but money is a spiritual issue. Money is just as spiritual as any of the other topics that you hear me talking about up here. 
God cares what you do and how you think about and how you spend your money. He cares. And your relationship with your money directly affects your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. So money is a spiritual issue. And so no longer am I a little bit nervous about talking about money in church because that's exactly the place we should be talking about it. That's where we should be trying to get in the zone and be in the place where God blesses us and we can bless others. Money is a spiritual issue. And last week I talked about the evil one, Satan, the devil, that tries to pull us out of the zone into other places. And the first highway out of the zone that he tries to take us on is the highway of materialism. Now materialism is not just having a bunch of nice stuff. You can have the Cadillac Escalade, the $62,419 in a car. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But materialism is not having nice expensive stuff. Materialism begins where your income ends. So materialism is a condition of the heart. It's not based upon what you purchase. It's a condition of your heart. I can't look at you and because you have nicer stuff than I've got, that doesn't mean you're materialistic. You can be materialistic and make thirty grand a year. You can be materialistic and make $300,000 a year. So the income really doesn't determine whether you're materialistic or not. Materialism begins where your income ends. And a lot of people are on the road of materialism, which takes you straight out of the zone. And today I want to talk about another road that gets us out of the zone and fast. And that's the road of debt. Debt will mess you up. Listening to all these offers that say, well, you can transfer to this one, then skip over to that one. And then, well, I can transfer to this one because the interest rate's less. And then, hey, this one's got checks with it, so I can make the car payment with that. Debt will mess you up. It'll mess up relationships. It'll cause you to feel ways you normally wouldn't feel. It'll cause you to say things and do things and act ways you normally wouldn't act, all because you've allowed yourself to get buried in a mountain of debt. Debt will mess people up. In the early 1800s, there was a furniture store in New York City that said, let's start selling things on credit. So people can buy more furniture, we'll let them pay for it in payments. And it wasn't long after that, they figured out they could get more money out of it because people were paying for it over time. And thus, installment credit was born all the way up to today where we can buy anything and everything on credit. Anybody, even if you've messed up financially before, you can still come right back and get things on credit. And you might be thinking, well, gosh, I could stay home today because I don't have a debt problem. I don't have a problem with debt. At one time or another, everybody deals with debt. Listen to some facts about debt. The average household in America has $8,400 in credit card debt. 65% of the people that have that much in credit card debt only pay the minimum payment every month. If you pay the minimum payment on $8,400, it will take you 25 years and you will pay back $24,000. Not wise. Americans get 50 unsolicited credit card offers every six months. Every six months. 50 come into your mailbox. There's over 1 billion credit cards in American households. 1 billion of these That's eight per house. Eight cards per house. And college students 
somehow graduate from college with no job, no income, but yet they've been able to get credit cards. And the average college student graduates from college with $4,000 in credit card debt. My first credit card purchase was in 1988. Walking across campus, and there's a bunch of two-liter bottles of Coke and Diet Coke and Sprite, and I thought, must be free, so I go over. They're free. All you have to do is fill out a credit app to get a MasterCard. And I thought, well, I don't have one of those. I don't have a job. They're not going to give me one, but I could use the Coke. So I go... Filling it out, I feel like like 10, you know, so I can get, you know, a week's supply of Diet Coke. But so I fill out a credit card app, put my home address, my school address, everything they asked, signed it, and in one month came this shiny new credit card with my name on it. And I was like, wow, I'm going to go buy something. <laughs> so I go to the mall, and I needed, needed a boombox. It's late 80s now, remember now, it was a boombox. I needed one. I needed one with a, with a three-band graphic equalizer on it, detachable speakers, double high-speed cassette with the handle so I could carry it around. Now, so $89.95, <laughs> I bought that thing. A few weeks later, my dad calls up because I'd put his address as my permanent address. And for, somehow they sent me the credit card but sent him the bill. So... <laughs> That was the only purchase, first and only purchase I ever made on that credit card because it got canceled immediately. Credit can really get us into trouble because of two little words. I want. I want. I want more. I want a new car. I want a new house. I want, I want, I want. And we pull out this little thing called the, the plastic people eater, the plastic piranha, the plastic relationship destroyer, and swipe it and swipe it and swipe it and charge ourselves into so much debt that we don't know how we're going to get out. Proverbs 22, verse 7. This is what God says about debt. The borrower is slave to the lender. How many people want to be a slave? If I said there's a sign-up sheet out the info booth, you've got to get in on the slavery thing. You've got to be a slave. Go out and sign up. How many of you would go do that? Well, probably none. I don't want to be a slave. But yet people make decision after decision and use this and other forms of credit and put themselves into slavery to their money. doesn't mean that you should never borrow money. The Bible says quite the opposite. It's okay to borrow money, but we should never borrow money we can't pay back. That sounds pretty elementary, doesn't it? But people borrow money They can't pay back all the time. And don't count on the bank or finance companies to help because they'll give you way more than you can afford to pay back. The fuel for more, our desire for more just fuels this need to purchase and purchase and purchase until a person ends up in so much debt they don't know what to do. Causes relationship problems and keeps you from enjoying the life in the zone that God has for you. Credit cards, no doubt, are convenient. I like paying for gas now because, you know, you don't even have to go into this smelly, smoke-filled convenience store. You just pay at the pump, leave the kids in the car, no problem. So credit cards can be very convenient and a useful tool in spending. But if you charge more every month on this than you can pay off, then cut it up. Get rid of it. Burn it. Throw it away. Don't use it anymore because that is where so many people get into trouble is charge and don't pay it off. Charge and don't pay it off. And before you know it, you're in a mess. 
God provides bridges when we're stuck in materialism back into the zone. He also provides bridges when we're stuck in debt to help us get back into the zone. One of those bridges is a budget. That might sound like, oh yeah, I've heard budget before. A budget is nothing but planned spending. That's all it is. And a budget, it's not meant to restrict. It's not meant to make you feel like you're a slave to a budget. It's meant to help you take care of your money, to know where your money goes. It helps you control your money rather than your money controlling you. Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever. I don't have any flocks. I don't have any herds. I doubt anybody in here does, but we do have stuff, and that's what he's talking about. Pay attention to your stuff. Pay attention to your money. Don't let it rule you. You pay attention. You manage it. You budget it because there's not an unlimited supply. No matter how much you have, it could run out. And you could end up with nothing. Remember what I said about money last week. If we love it, it will lead us. But if we lead it, it will serve us. People spend money in a few different ways. First way is the blue light spender. The blue light spender. You know, remember Kmart, the blue light once in a lifetime special, the blue light comes on. You got to redirect your shopping cart to wherever that thing is and purchase something on impulse you never plan to purchase. Some people, they don't plan how their money's spent. They just, oh, that looks good. That looks great. I'll take one of those. I'll take three of those. And they charge their way into a mountain of debt. Another kind of spender is the keep up spender. And that's what I was talking about last week, how we're not content with our content and we just keep purchasing and figuring out ways to borrow from this and pay that and get what we want and, and get something shiny and new just to keep up with our neighbors. You know, your neighbors are in debt. <laughs> your neighbors that have the nice stuff, they're in debt. They charged it. So don't think I've got to keep up with them. I've got to have one of those not being content causes more instances of out-of-control debt than anything else. Philippians 4 verse 11 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So if you're dealing with debt today, one of the first things you can do is to start to be content with what God, the great blesser, has blessed you with. Start to enjoy that and be content with that before you continually go for more by whipping out the credit card or filling out the credit app. There's a country song that says, it's hard to be content when my neighbor keeps buying things that I can't afford. And then there's the other kind of person, the save it, then spend it. The person that saves it up and then makes the purchase. That's the wise way to spend money. If you're in debt... There's a way to get out. There's a way to get back into the zone. You may have heard this before, but it's the 10-10-80 principle. Just write that down, 10-10-80. First 10% of our income, where should that go? Well, if I want to be in the zone, the first 10% of my income, the first fruits should go back to God because that's what he asks for. Remember the verse in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, I'm the Lord all-powerful. I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Then I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. 
I'll supply your needs. That's what God is saying. Test me. Bring me that first 10% and watch what happens. God even goes as far as to say, when you don't bring your first fruits, you're robbing me. You rob me when you do that. Second 10% is to save 10%. Saving is smart. Saving up money for when we need it later is smart. Here's what the Bible has to say about saving. Proverbs 6. Go watch the ants, you lazy person. Watch what they do and be wise. Ants have no commander, no leader or ruler, but they store up food in the summer and gather their supplies at harvest. What he's saying is, watch this little creature that God created. They go get the stuff, they store the stuff, and then they eat it later. That's called saving. Bring 10. Save 10. Will help get you on the road to being out of debt. And then what do you do with the other 80%? You get to live on it. That's what you purchase your stuff with, the things you need, some things you want. Enjoy it, vacation, whatever. But the 80% is for our enjoyment, us to spend after we've taken God what's His, after we've saved 10, we've got 80% left to be generous with, to give away if we want to, to spend on ourselves if we want to. And that might sound completely impossible for you to look at 10, 10, 80 and think, there is no way I could ever get there. There's no way I could start bringing 10, saving 10, and living on 80 because you're probably living on 120 right now. But you can get there. It just takes small steps. I'm convinced that if you tithe, if you choose to live in the zone and say, I'm not going to live in the land of Ing, I'm going to live in the zone where I understand that my first fruits go to God, that God owns everything and I'm just a manager, that will get you on the road to conquering and defeating the debt monster like nothing else will. I know there's a lot of people here that have dealt with debt. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. I know there's some of you here that have conquered it. I want you to meet somebody today, Todd Hofer, who goes to our church, and he has a really neat debt story to share with us. He was telling me the other day about his debt issue several years ago. I want you to tell us a little bit about just how you and your wife found yourselves under a pile of debt. Well, you know, like you, you know, I, I think they offer Diet Pepsi at the school I was going to for the free credit card thing, and I signed up for that. And, and it all kind of started there, just with free credit and not really worrying about how to pay it back. And um, just buying things that, that we didn't need, um, sometimes just making, a lot of times just making bad choices. And a lot of times, when I think back to that time in my life, it's just really not even thinking about it. You know, how am I going to pay this back? Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, wanting whatever I saw that day or that week or whatever to just go ahead and buy it. Mm-hmm. So. That was, a, that was a tough time in our life. And we, um, I think I said in the first service, I, I was thinking about it during the break, and we were probably about $20,000, $25,000 in debt, some of it to credit, credit card companies, some of it to, you know, my grandfather who had loaned me some money and things like mm-hmm. that. And um, we, were, we were really in trouble. How did that affect relationship, the the day-to-day having to deal with all this debt you got yourself in? It was probably the hardest time in our life. I think now when we go through hard times, you know, it's fairly easy compared to that time in our life because it was such a stressful situation. And I think... um, my wife is not even allowed to say the name of the street that we lived on during that time because it just makes my stomach hurt because we were just in so much trouble. So we, it was really a difficult time in our life because we really didn't have the income um, to, to, to get, at that point, 
or maybe the knowledge or the willpower or whatever to get out of debt. So it was this feeling of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. In fact, I tell a lot of people during that time in my life, I decided to go ahead and get my midlife crisis over at about 28, you know, because it was such a difficult time. I mean, it was really depressing. Were there ever times when you, um, you saw opportunities to give and you couldn't because you were in so much debt? In fact, I remember... I remember the, the, the Dean Jaderson, a friend, friend of mine, I had some people over that were going to go into the Navigators, and they wanted to go to Russia to be missionaries. I remember the color of the couch. I remember it was downstairs in this red split-level house. I remember, thing, I, I remember everything about it. And they needed money to go over there. And with, these were some good friends of ours. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm not paying my bills. I can't help you, you know? And I, I just remember how frustrating and how maddening that was. So that, that sticks mm-hmm. out. I, yeah. I remember everything about it. What are some things you did to, to get out of it? Well, I think, and Dave Ramsey talks about this too, we decided that we had to make some radical changes. And it, it probably happened within weeks of that night. We just decided that there had to be some radical changes in our lives. Um, I think the first thing that I would say to people is you've got to stop spending. You know, you know, just a supper out, 50 bucks here, four times, you know, a, a month can add up to thousands of dollars over a year that you can save. You can take that money and put it towards a credit card instead of it piling onto the debt. And I think the second thing I would say is you've got to, you've got to be willing to work hard. And you may have to try to get some extra hours of work. And your spouse may need to be, you know, a little bit or a lot sympathetic to the hours that you're putting in. That's one of the things I remember when we were getting out of this pile of debt is just how much I worked. I was pretty good about always getting home at 6, but at 8, 8.30 when the kids were in bed, it was back to the computer and I was working as hard as I could. And my wife understood that. Mm-hmm. And another thing I would say is we, if you read a lot of books and, and, and newspaper articles, anything on this, we started with the smallest bill. It was J.C. Penney. I bought all these clothes because I thought I needed them to start my new career. And um, I, it was $1,600. I remember the amount. And I, I, we paid that off first. And we just started going from there. And it was just, I remember the day. It was like, mm-hmm. yes, we paid that off. And then you just start this positive roller coaster, you know. I think mm-hmm. stuff that, in, in reading, it takes about, what, eight weeks to make something a habit. And mm-hmm. once you start creating those great habits, you know, um, it, it just becomes a positive roller coaster. And, and then we moved on to the next one. And, um, and then you asked me first service about some foolish things that I bought. I bought this yeah. $4,000 gateway computer. Wow. I upgraded, it was a laptop. And I upgraded it to eight megs of RAM. I'm dating myself. Wow. But I'll never forget the day we paid off all our debts. I took that thing to the garage. And it, I, I haven't used it in years. It was just sitting out there. I took a sledgehammer to that thing. And it was one of the <laughs> funnest things. My kids were like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I, it was, it was, I remember that day. Yeah, I that Did you ever, you told a neat story first service about one time hiding a little bit of a purchase from your wife. Oh, I was terrible. Don't I, do that. I, I thought that I was... Um, I thought that I'd gotten away with not, with not having to take this physics course in college, and I found out last minute I had to have it in order to graduate. So I had to take a summer course. It was four grand, and you talked about it. Those checks that they give you in your credit card, you know, yeah. I wrote the check out and, and paid for it that way. My wife didn't know about it for six months. I mean, I was you could I could write a book on everything not to do, from paying <laughs> car payments with credit card checks to everything, and um, I think it, it's not to a point to where it just you just get fed up with it and you decide that it's got to stop right now and you've got to change your ways that you you probably won't change until you get to that point. Obviously, you've you've conquered that. You were out of the zone. Now you're back in the zone uh, where God wants you to be. What would you say to somebody out here that, that they might be living under maybe even more debt than, than what you mentioned? What, what would be some steps they could take or what advice would you have for them? I would say that 
you know, kind of like I said before, I, it may, it, you may need to make a drastic change in your life. And like you said, quit looking at the Joneses. The Joneses are broke. You know, <laughs> stop looking at other people. And you may need to make some radical changes. And your friends may think you're kind of foolish, but I've had friends that moved into a smaller house, and they didn't live in that big a house to begin with. And they just decided that we can't afford to live here. We're going to move into this other house. So uh, I think that, you know, that, that may be the case. But I, I think... If I think back to the time, you know, when we started really paying off a lot of our debt, it was stop spending. Just stop spending on things that you don't need. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I really, I really feel like, you know, some of those decisions that we started to make, you know, God just continued to bless the decisions, and he blessed me at work. You know, I was able to, you know, really pay off the debt faster than I thought we could. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I just think back to the time once we started turning the ship around, that, that God continued to just bless the, 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 the work that we were doing to get us out of debt. Because you can't, you, you can't even function normally, you know, always worried about money, much less help people that you need to help, whether it's mm-hmm. church or people outside of church in charitable giving. Because you can't even pay your bills. Yeah, right. Well, thanks, Todd. That was very insightful. What it means to live in the zone is to live in the place where God can bless you, where God wants to bless you so you can bless others. That's where God wants every person to live. Live where you manage the resources he gives you. Live where you bring him the tithe. Live where you understand that it's all his and we're not owners, we're just managers. Staying off the highways of materialism and debt. That's what it means to live in the zone.